time is racing on. Let me uh, just race through here. Deuteronomy literally means um, rehearsing the law, a reminder. And so here we are in Deuteronomy chapter 8, page 178, if you have it there in front of you. And here is Moses. You'll see from the very first verse of Deuteronomy, just back a few pages. These are the words of Moses, which he spoke to Israel in the wilderness. Verse 3, in the 40th year, the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. The end of the 40 years, end of this wilderness wandering, and Moses um, is coming to the end of his life and his ministry. He's preparing Joshua and the Israelites for entry into the promised land. I read recently that John Stott is to retire from all public engagements, um, from speaking engagements in due course. Uh, My, wouldn't that be quite something to hear one of his last talks or sermons? You think 40, 50, 60 years of public ministry, all that leadership, all that teaching, the commentary writing, soaked in every vessel and fiber of his being, and hear his last few words to later generations to people like you and me, my goodness, wouldn't that be quite something to hear? I wonder what he'd say. How would he commission us? Well, here is Moses doing much the same thing, commissioning Israel. What does he say? Let's turn to chapter 8 and to the bit that we had read just earlier. Be careful, verse 1 of chapter 8, to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. Be careful, literally, full of care. Full of care to remember the Lord and his goodness, guiding, blessing, protecting, providing. Remember how he led you. Why did he do that? Well, according to verse 2, it was to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart. Very often when we hear these words, commands, be careful to obey commands because um, the Lord is testing us. And and maybe we have an image of this great big square-chested sergeant major with a sort of marching baton tucked rigidly under his arm, barking out orders, you better obey. And, of course, things like fear of the Lord, and we, we sort of mistranslate that and think, oh, my goodness, you know, this is awful. I'm on the parade ground, and I'd better not get an extra parade for not doing it right. Fear kind of pressing down on us. But the words of God, the, the ten words that we read of in Exodus are, are words of life. They're words of, of covenant and engagement and involvement. In fact, the Hebrew word for word, dabar, means um, sort of event. It's it's this thing, this event, this activity that comes out of the mouth of God and engages and catches us up in some way. Look at verse 18 of chapter 8. Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. A covenant is where two beings become one. That's the the, the word of God, the event of God, the activity of God, incorporating us into his plans in relationship. Moses says, remember. Sorry, uh, be careful, verse 1, and remember. But be careful, verse 1, to follow the commands of God so that you may live 
so that you may flourish, so that it might go well. He's not trying to beat life out of us. He's trying to encourage life into us. That's the call of God on our lives. And so what is God testing, or if you like, training in us? He's training in us that we might know our hearts to be good, training in us the ability to trust in his grace, not rely on our greed. He's training in us to trust in God's grace, not to rely on our greed. Think of creation. I mean, was creation our idea? Were we sort of hanging around thinking, I've got a great idea for a world. I just need a God who will help me. God, in his creativity and power and imagination, creates something out of nothing. And then people's creation with us and bids us enjoy creation. The very first thing he said to Adam, you are free to enjoy all the trees of the garden. You're free. What grace, what provision, what generosity pouring out of the heart of God. We know the story, Genesis 3 and on. We turn from that. And yet here again, God, knowing what is the potential of the human heart, lays out a land full of milk and honey. We've had it described for us. There are pomegranates and vines, a land where bread will not be scarce. There's so much, so much. God is so good. I need to train you to recognize my goodness and to embrace it so that you will continue to rely on me and my grace and not begin to rely on the propensity which is in the human heart for greed. Grace, not greed. And so he trains us. He trains us, or he trained the people of Israel through times of poverty. Verse three, he humbled you, Moses reminds them, causing you to hunger. And then, feeding you with manna. You can read about this strange stuff, manna, in Exodus 16. No time for it now, but just to say it was this kind of thin, wafer-like bread that just appeared in the morning, and the Israelites could go and collect it up as much as they needed for that day. Interesting. The Lord said, just take what you need for that day. I will give you today your daily bread. What did the Israelites do? Oh, I'll, I'll... I'm not quite sure whether I can actually trust God for tomorrow as well. He he may forget. Busy guy. Lots on. I'll hoard a little bit. And what happened to the stuff? Read about it in Exodus 16. He got maggots. It began to smell. It went off. The Lord basically saying, guys, I'm faithful to my covenant. If I say I'll provide for you, I will provide for you. Trust me. And so the manna. In times of poverty, in hard times. Manna, not bread. Bread keeps us going physically. It just sustains our physical being. It keeps us alive. Manna, bread from heaven, so that we might live. Something to chew on the next time you have a piece of toast. As you chew, or bread, chew on this. The difference between being alive and living. God calls us to live. And so bread from heaven that we might learn to rely on him. Jesus in Matthew 4, when he's tested by the devil, 
40 days, hasn't eaten a thing. His body is aching with hunger. And the devil says, see those stones there? Why don't you turn them into bread? Oh. And don't you think that Jesus knew he could probably do that? And yet he disciplines himself. He's trained, you see, in the 40 days that he underwent. He's trained himself not to rely on his own ingenuity. The Lord reminding the Israelites here, your forefathers didn't know manna. It wasn't like a little recipe. They, oh, do you remember manna? Yeah, look, we'll, we'll make some of that. No, they knew nothing. They would have starved. And the Lord provides out of his grace, his generosity, his goodness. Jesus isn't going to usurp that. He's not going to rely on his own ingenuity to create bread out of stones. He reminds the devil with a flea in his ear, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every word, logos, knowledge, dabar, event, the, the, the knowledge event, the active awareness of God. What is the ultimate active awareness for human beings of God amongst us? The word, become flesh, Jesus. Man does not live on bread alone. Yes, it's helpful to keep our bodies going, but far more than that, we feed on Jesus, God's word that comes from the Father. Jesus, as he says of himself, John chapter 6, uh, I think that's, on the, that's one of the verses that can come up on the screen to remind us, John six thirty five. I am the bread of life. Not the bread that keeps you alive, the bread of life, the bread that enables you to live, to flourish. God preparing us in times of poverty. God also preparing us in times of plenty. Verse 7 of chapter 8, Deuteronomy. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. Isn't that typical of God? If we were God, what would we have done? Well, I've heard all your grumbling over the last 40 years. I've got, I've got a kind of appraisal sheet here, just looking back over it. Mm. It's not been brilliant, has it? Uh, I've got a land for you, and frankly, I think this is all you deserve. You know, one or two weeds out of that crack there, and uh, if you can find something living that you could kill and eat, well, good luck. About amount, just about as much as you deserve. No. Just not in God's heart. He's so good. He's so good. I've got a land that's good for you. A land with streams and pools of water. A land full of wheat and barley and vines and figs. A land where the bread will not be scarce. Not if you eat, verse 10, and are satisfied. When you eat and are satisfied. Then praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. Training in times of poverty, but training in times of plenty as well. When when the times are good. When life is all as it should be, as we've sung earlier. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. For all that you've given and provided us. Give us today our daily bread is like the mountaineer or the hill walker, the fell runner, who trains himself to read the compass. Even when the daylight is so good and the visibility is so clear, he can see the path stretching out for miles, yet, even though the way seems clear and obvious, trust the compass. 
because there will come times when the mist comes down or the rain closes in and the visibility is so poor that you cannot see the way ahead. You don't even know where the next 10 steps are meant to be. And then you'll need the compass training to walk on the bearing of life. Give us today our daily bread. In the context of God's goodness, in the context of God's provision, Jesus instructs us to pray. Give us today our daily bread. It's tutti. Tutti. Teach us to trust you. Teach us to trust you. That's what Jesus is instructing us to pray there. Lord, today, whether there's good times and a plenty, or whether there are hard times and it seems like nothing, teach me to trust you today. Is this all too spiritual? I mean, is, is that for the sort of keenies, the people who are really eloquent in the prayer meetings and, you know, really sort of sit near the front at church and, uh, and all that? It's, it's just all a bit too spiritual. What about, you know, what about just the, the ordinary stuff of life? Look at chapter 8, Deuteronomy, and verse 4. As the Lord trained these people not to live on bread, but on everything that comes from the mouth of God. Look, your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Supposing you were to go on a 40-year journey. It'd be great to know that at the end of it, 40 years walking and wandering around, no permanent home. Wouldn't it be great to know your feet never swelled once? Supposing I could offer you um, a garment of clothing and there was a guarantee attached to the garment, that for 40 years it would not wear out or grow thin or uh, get holes in or fade. You'd, you'd pay over the odds for a garment like that, wouldn't you? Here's a, isn't that typical of the Lord's goodness? He'll make sure you have every practical thing that you need as you seek him and his provision. What did Jesus say in the context of prayer in Matthew 6 when uh, he was teaching on prayer Verse 25, I think it's on the screen, there we are. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? And the body more important than clothes? What does he say? A little later on, verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be given to you as well. So is give us today our daily bread, is that a... Is that a spiritual prayer, as it were, or is it a kind of practical, physical prayer? I hate this kind of sacred, secular divide. It's both. It's both, isn't it? Jesus taught about the kingdom of heaven like a big feast, like a banquet. The prophets foretold that. They, they, they pictured heaven as a big feast. One of the lectionary readings for today is... The story Jesus tells of a man who lays out a banquet and they won't come. So he, he insists that others are invited. He, he's desperate that people should not miss out on tasting the banquet. And we are walking maybe through a challenging or tough time. God seems a million miles away. We're struggling. Maybe we're just overburdened at work or at home. Relationships are not working out. There's been a tragedy I'm feeling depressed and low. No one else understands. 
I'm in a wilderness. There's no water. There's no food. Give us today our daily bread. It is a prayer for just the faintest whiff of the banquet of heaven to fill our nostrils now. Lord, please, I want to trust in you today that I may feast in this famine. It's a legitimate prayer to pray. But it's practical too, isn't it? I love this. Just after the injunction to pray for your kingdom to come, comes this really specific. Give us today our daily bread. A basic need, a basic provision. Nothing spectacular, nothing too fancy, just an ordinary thing that I need. Doesn't this inspire us in in light of God's goodness? What do you need today? Nothing too trivial, nothing too insignificant that isn't covered by this, this line in the Lord's Prayer. Our daily bread. Basic provision. Ordinary things. It's a reminder for us, actually, even in the most simple things, not to rely on past manner, not to hoard. You're in charge of a team at work. You know how to run meetings. You've been trained to run meetings. You, were, you went to that uh, week-long training 10 years ago, and you've put it into practice. You always know how to run meetings. You know how to handle your staff. You're, you're really good at it. You can kind of do it without thinking. Ah, yeah. But start to think. Remember. Be careful. Lord, I've got this meeting coming today. How do you want me to run it today? I know how I did it yesterday, but I don't want what I did yesterday to start being full of maggots and smelling. So even though I've run these meetings many, many times, Lord, I just need, please, your guidance, your ability to run this meeting today. The phone rings. I know how to answer a phone. I know how to speak to my colleague or my wife or whoever it might be. But Lord, as I pick up the phone, just the wisdom, the knowledge, the insight to say exactly the right thing, that I might be part of the answer to prayer and someone else's daily bread, perhaps. Lord, I don't want to rely on my own ingenuity I don't want to rely on my own past successes. Tear up the CV and all the things that we've been brilliant at doing in order that we might learn to trust in him. Teach us to trust you. Tati. Give us. Give us. We are so rich in this part of the world. We've got three meals coming up today. We've had one, I presume. Another two to go, snacks in between probably. Shops open all the time. We've got shelter. We've got wonderful houses, most of us. Clothes. None of us naked here today. Had to borrow any clothes in order to be respectable. We have so much, and yet there are brothers and sisters around the world who would long just for the shirt that we're wearing on our backs, who don't know where their next meal is coming from. That's why we, I'd encourage you actually to, in some way, shape or form, to pray a little grace before a meal. It's a reminder. It's just being full of care to remember when, you know, it's all going well, that my heart does not say, oh, look, by the strength of my hand, by my ingenuity. But to remember that there are others who go without. And so as I'm so grateful to God for his provision here and now, Lord, stir me and us in some way to support, pray for, and help in practical ways my brothers and sisters who don't have their daily bread in practical ways.
just a few minutes, I'm going to ask Alan to come and uh, just tee up what we're going to do for um, communion as we celebrate communion together. Um, all of us have needs of one way, shape, or form. Alan's had on its heart for us to bring needs, particularly for healing and our wholeness. Salvation is a word that effectively means wholeness before God. And so we'd love to give an opportunity during communion to, to pray for that. And communion, here's an, here's, here's an opportunity in just a few minutes for us to move, to, to take part in the activity of God. You'll need to, to walk up here. And I'll offer you, um, I'm rather ashamed to say it's just a little wafer, but it symbolizes bread. It's very simple. It won't sustain you much. Just enough energy to get you home, perhaps, for lunch. But something so simple, so ordinary, betokens the greatest gift of heaven. Jesus, the bread from heaven, who sustains the whole of our life that we might live for him. Lord, teach us to trust you. Give us today our daily bread. May we feed on the word of life that we might live to your praise and glory. Amen. Alan, come and join me.